0: Tomorrow night, you come because it'll be exciting one way or the other. Amen. Second Corinthians chapter number 2. Look at verse number 9. For to this end also did I write that I might know the proof of you, whether ye be obedient in all things. To whom ye forgive anything, I forgive also. For if I forgave anything to whom I forgave it, for your sakes forgave I it in the person of Christ. Lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of... His devices. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the good day that we've had. And Lord, thank you that we can meet together tonight and finish off our day here with your people and your word. And God, I pray that it would be time well spent and you would indeed speak to our hearts tonight. And we'll thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. I want to preach to you on this subject tonight. Don't be ignorant. Amen. That's always good advice. Don't be ignorant. Now, we, uh, you know, we have a home. We're from Alaska. Of course, I spent all my life in Alaska. Our home church is in Alaska. But we have a home in Franklin, Kentucky. I know we're dysfunctional. But when you travel all the time, everything's dysfunctional. So uh, we our kids always thought wherever we were was home, you know, and then they would refer to the sandbox house. That was the house in Kentucky that had a sandbox in the backyard. So there was home, which is where we were, and then the sandbox house. And they looked forward to getting back to the sandbox house so they could go play in the sand. So everything's dysfunctional. But down there in that area, people don't often say ignorant. They say ignorant. Yeah. They, just, they leave out a few things in the middle there, and it's just ignorant. You know, that's that just ignorant. And you don't want to be called ignorant, I'm telling you. And you certainly don't want God calling you that. You don't want to be known as ignorant. Have you ever seen anybody who's ignorant? Don't, don't look at anybody right now. Don't do that. Don't elbow anybody. Don't. <laughs> well, you can look at him. That's okay. Uh, I, I like to watch those, uh, those things where, you know, people are doing something and you know disaster is about to happen. And somebody's filming the whole thing. And, you know, it just, my wife says I have, I have a warped sense of humor. I don't believe that. I just enjoy strange things, that's all. And, and I, I've seen several. You know, the guy, he's cutting the tree, and he's got the, the ladder leaned up against the tree, and he's cutting limbs, and then he cuts the tree below where the ladder is. And, and the whole tree goes, and he goes, and the chainsaw goes, and praise the Lord, nobody died, but it was fun to watch anyway, amen? Now, that's ignorant. They just don't do that stuff. That's ignorant. We, in Alaska, we have a zoo, it's not much of a zoo. It's called the Alaska Zoo. <laughs> it's the only zoo in Alaska. And it has, you know, a mangy moose and a caribou and, a, and you know, a, whatever else. We don't have much more. than We got a moose and a caribou. And I think they borrowed a buffalo from somewhere in Canada and brought it and put it in there. And some stuff like that. I think there might be a muskox that they got from someplace. And, and then the, the big attraction was always Binky the polar bear. Binky the polar You can Google Binky the polar bear. He's been dead for a long time, but he's still famous in Alaska. There's still, you know, posters of Binky the polar bear. And we love Binky the polar bear because one day a tourist went to the Alaska Zoo <laughs> and reached in through the bars. To Binky the polar bear. Because after all, you know, he's a fluffy white bear. And, you know, he looks all happy and joyful. And, and when somebody sticks their hand through, he gets really joyful. And he grabbed the hand and just bit it right off. I mean, just ate the hand and all the rest. And he became the hero for the whole state. For, for chomping a tourist like that in the middle of the summer. You can Google him. You, you find out all about Binky. You know what? You, if you're the guy who sticks their hand in the cage, you're ignorant. I mean, come on. You, you... And they put him down for that. Can you imagine? It wasn't even his fault. Offered free food and they put him down just like that. I saw one from, I think it was Malaysia. Just a, a few weeks ago, somebody stuck their arm in the orangutan cage and the orangutan grabbed it and wouldn't let go. I mean, they're just having a little tug of war and playing back and forth and, and they, they were able to come out unscathed. But that's not a smart thing to do. That is right down the alley of ignorant right there. There are a lot of ignorant things you can do. Now, in Alaska, we have to shovel the roof off a couple of times during the winter. Because the snow builds up and it doesn't melt. You know how your snow will come and then it will melt and come and melt. and uh, When ours comes in September, it doesn't melt until May. And the middle of May. And so it just piles up. And that layer right on the roof will begin to melt because of the heat from the house. And then you get a layer of ice and then more snow. And if you don't get up there and shovel it off before all that happens, your whole roof can collapse on you. So it's big business, you know, like plowing driveways, shoveling roofs. It's the same deal. And we had a family in our church that that had their house and they got a young man from the church to come shovel the roof off. And you don't just use a, a regular snow shovel. They have these big scoops. I mean, they're big and wide and they're deep and they have these big handles on them and you scoop off these massive chunks of snow and, and pile them all around the house. And this young man did a fine, fine job, fine job. And when he got done, he took the scoop and tossed it up in the air and it came down in what he thought was a pile of snow. And it was a jaguar covered in a tarp that had a big layer of snow on it. And that snow scoop went right through the hood of the jaguar sitting in the yard of the house. It became a very expensive roof shoveling job is what it became. That's ignorant. Amen. You don't just toss that out there and hope it lands somewhere safe. No, you look at what you're tossing your scoop down into. Sometimes we do things we know better. And yet we do them anyway. And we just kind of hope for the best. When you do that in the spiritual realm, you're setting yourself up for some awful trouble. Awful trouble. And God God lets us know that there are some things we should look out for. And he reminds us that we are not ignorant of Satan's devices. You see, Satan wants to destroy your life. He wants to mess it up. If he can't keep you from getting saved in the first place, he wants to destroy whatever he can after you get saved so that you can't do anything for God and accomplish anything of value. And so he is dead set on ruining your life. But the the wonderful thing about it is this. He doesn't have any new tactics. He doesn't. He's just used the same old things for thousands of years. and, And I'll just be honest with you. The reason he's done that is because they work. And we know what they are, and we still fall into it. We do. We know what it is that he's up to, and yet we still fall prey to it. So often, look if you would down here again at verse number 11. Lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. You see, he's constantly trying to take advantage and get an advantage in your life and ruin things and destroy things and mess things up. So don't be ignorant of his devices. Recognize them, watch for them, and stay away from them. First and foremost, he lies. John chapter 8, verse 44, says, Ye are of your father the devil, and the lusts of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning, and abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. When Satan whispers in your ear, you just mark it down, he is lying to you. And he will tell you that he's got something good in store for you and he is lying to you. He's always lying. Even if he throws in some truth to make it believable, and he'll do that. He'll throw in a little bit of truth to make it believable. But then he'll put his lie in there just enough to, to poison the whole thing and destroy the whole thing and mess up your life. He'll tell you that if you really want the good things in life, you won't find them here. You won't find them in the Word of God. Oh, no, no, you'll find them out there in the world. I mean, that's what you want to be. You want to be like the movie stars and you want to be (coughs) like the musicians and you want to be like the popular people and you want to be the influencers. And that's the good life. It's a lie. That's a lie. It's, well, it hadn't been very many months ago now. There were two movie stars that were suing each other, formerly, I'm not even going to tell you who they are because you already know who they are. And, and one's going to sue the other one and then the other one's going to sue that one and back and forth and, and the whole court case is going back and forth and everybody's trying to decide who's innocent and who's guilty. And, and you know what we learned in the middle of the whole court proceeding? And I didn't follow the thing. I just heard blips here and blips there of the most egregious and horrible things that were there. You know what we learned? These rich people with all the money in the world and houses all over the world and followings all over the world and everything at their disposal live like filthy animals it's the stuff you would expect to find in some run down trailer house somewhere in a corner that looks abandoned and yet here it is happening in these mansions in these and these massive homes in these exotic places and it's just the same old filth and vile disgusting stuff that satan always gives and satan'll tell you that's the good life that's not the good life no that's a miserable life that's headed for destruction You want to stay as far away from that as you possibly can. But he'll tell you that over and over because he's a liar. That's who he is. That's what he does. Not only does he lie, here's the second device that we fall prey to. He accuses the brethren. He does. Revelation chapter 12, verse number 10 says he's the accuser of our brethren. And he's cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. He's the accuser of the brethren. He accuses us to God, and he accuses God to us. He does. You see, he will will lie to us about God and tell God the truth about us. He'll go to God and say... You know, you know this guy over here? You know what he did today? And you know what he thought today? And you know what he would have done if he could have gotten away with it today? And you know what she did? And what she did? And what he did? And what they did? And he tells God the truth. It's the truth. We are that bad. We are that messed up. We do think bad thoughts and say bad things and do wrong things. And, and, and he tells God about it. And then he comes back to us and he lies to us about God. He tells God the truth about us, and then he comes to us and says, God is mad at you. You stay away from him, because you come near him, he's just going to squash you like a bug. You better not go to God, don't talk to him. As a matter of fact, drop out of church. That'd be the best thing you could do, drop out of church, because those Christians, they're just going to hate you anyway, and God is mad at you. So you just, it's a lie. He tells God the truth about us and then he lies to us about God. And he accuses us before God and he accuses God to us. That's what he does. He's the accuser of the brethren. And then he makes us distrust each other and doubt each other's motives. Have you ever had somebody who, you know, they'd gotten away from the Lord and and done some foolish things in their life and then... You go to visit them and they tell you, (coughs) excuse me, I can't go back to that church. Why? Well, everybody knows what I did. I can't go back there. Well, that's not true. Of course you can go back there. And you go back and you get right. And you'll find that everybody will embrace you and love you and help you and encourage you. But the devil doesn't want that. So he'll tell you stay away from those people at church because you know, they'll look down on you And when the truth is they're just as bad as you are. They've had the same issues or different ones somewhere along the line in their life and, and thank God they got it straightened out and they'll be thrilled to death when you get it straightened out. They won't be looking down their nose at you. They'll be rejoicing at what God has done in your life. But the devil lies and he accuses. And he says, oh, he'll think this, and she'll think that, and they'll say this. And he's just lying. Right. But he does it over and over and over and over. And then people get out, and they get bitter. And next thing you know, they end up on the IFB cult survivor's website. <laughs> telling, <laughs> telling you how going to that church and learn about Jesus has ruined their whole life. Well, that's ridiculous. Yeah. It's the best thing that ever happened to you. I mean, that, that didn't ruin your life. It gave you a little bit of a chance in your life. Amen? Somebody cared enough to spend a little time with you and give you some truth. Listen, he's the accuser of the brethren. When, when you get online and you see people accusing Christians of all manner of stuff, you just mark it down, that didn't come from God. They, they, they come out of good churches all over the place. And quite honestly, they never got saved in the first place. So all they ever got from church was rules to do and not to do. And they never had a relationship with God. So they never even understood why that even mattered. And so they're bitter and they're angry and they get out and they accuse the brethren all over the Internet. Don't, Don't take that to heart. That's just the devil doing his job. That is what he does. And he's doing it better now than he's ever done it. He really is. I mean, you can find, look for any church you want and you'll find a whole list of people who are bitter and angry and they're going to tell you how awful it was and how, bare, how bad they were and, and all manner of stuff. And it just goes on and on and on. He's the accuser of the brethren. We even had a thing in, in our home church there in Alaska and, and somebody got online and said, you know, my, uh, my father had abused my mother and beat her for years and, and, and the church never did anything about it. Well now I you know if that's going on it should not go on. I think we would all agree with that. There's no excuse for that especially among people who claim to know the Lord. There's no excuse for that. But let me just say this with all the kindness I can muster. If there's a crime being committed in your home, a crime, somebody's being beaten, somebody's being abused or molested or something, there's a crime being committed in your home. He's not the first guy you call. It's not his responsibility. Do you hear what I'm saying? Call the police. That's what they're for. God instituted government for the punishment of evildoers. It's in your Bible. He did not institute the church for punishment of evildoers. He didn't institute the family for punishment of evildoers. He instituted the government for punishment of evildoers. So if you're not going to call the police, please don't complain that he didn't fix it. I'm smiling at you because you can't get mad me. I smile at you. It's absolutely ludicrous. What what would you like for him to do? Move into your house and make sure you stay separated? Is, Is that what you would like for him to do? That's not his job. That's not what God has called him to do. It's not his responsibility before God. It's not his job to send a deacon to go do that. That's the policeman's job. Oh, but I don't want him to go to jail. Well, then don't bother calling anybody. But then don't blame him when it goes on and on and on and on. He can't fix that. He's not even supposed to fix that. The government is supposed to fix that. Call the police, have the bum thrown in jail, and then after he gets all straightened out in jail, Lord willing or not, then call him and say, we need some help to try to get our family fixed, and he'll be right there. Because that's what we do. We help fix things. We don't, we don't punish evildoers, and that's not our responsibility. So don't waste your time accusing the church of something that's not even their job to do. And yet that's what the devil's doing all over the place. Well, we went to that church, and, and this terrible thing happened, and the church didn't solve it. Listen, if, if you haven't called the police, or you have, and they can't find any reason to do anything, don't blame him. It's not his fault. I know that's not politically correct, but I've never been accused of being politically correct. <laughs> you know what's happening? It's just the accuser of the brethren finding a new way to destroy the people of God. And he's used the Internet to do that, social media, in a lot of places. Listen, I could give you a list of, of pastors who have finally had to resign and leave, not because they did anything. But because they didn't handle a situation the way somebody thought it should be handled and they just keep spilling it out there as if somehow he did something that was evil and on and on. And finally, for the good of the church, he says, I'm going to have to step down just so just so things can go on. That's wicked. That is as wicked as wicked can be. And it's just the devil doing the same thing he's always done. He's always accused the brethren. It's just that now he has a few more avenues uh, through which he can accomplish his goal. He's he's the liar and he's the accuser of the brethren. And then here's a a good one for you. He misapplies the word of God. He misapplies the word of God. Now, none of this is is new material for you. That's, That's the problem. We already know what he does. But we fall for it. We just keep falling for it. We listen to the lies. We fall into listening to the accusations. We fall into listening to the misapplications of the word of God. In Genesis chapter three, verse number four, and the serpent said unto the woman, ye shall not surely die. What was he doing? Just twisting the words of God a little bit. Just, just putting a little bit of spin on it so that she'd pay attention and she'd do what he wanted him to do. He, listen, he tried it on Jesus. If he's going to try it on the one who wrote the book, don't you think he's going to try it on you and on me? He did. He took Jesus up to the temple and said, throw yourself down. Why? Because in Psalms it says the angels will take charge and he was just misapplying the word of God. That's all. And people do it all the time. You, you probably hear it happen more often than you realize. And it happens a lot in the day in which we live. People talk a lot about freedom in Christ. Sadly enough, they don't mean biblical freedom in Christ. They don't. It's not what they really mean. They mean rejecting the truths of the word of God. And that somehow they're free to ignore the word of God. And they call that freedom in Christ. But that's not freedom in Christ. That's sin. Freedom in Christ. Listen, I, I got freedom in Christ the day I got saved. It happened the day I got saved. You know, you know what that really means to be free in Christ? That means that now I'm saved. I'm a born-again, blood-bought child of God. I'm saved now. I'm saved forever. Nothing can take that away. I am now free to serve God because I want to. That's freedom in Christ. Religious bondage is I have to do this or I won't make it to heaven, or I won't maintain my... That's bondage in Christ. Freedom in Christ is because I'm saved and forgiven. Now I am free to serve God simply because I want to and I love Him. That's, that's my motivation for serving Him. I don't have to. I could not do another thing for God the rest of my life and I'd still go to heaven. I don't do it to get saved or to stay saved. I have the freedom to serve God because I get to. Amen? Not because I have to. That's exactly the opposite of most of the religion that was being taught in churches in this area yesterday. They were being taught, come here, do these things, and that will get you a little bit of a little bit of credit toward maybe going to heaven when you die and, and you do this and you do that and you say this and you say that. And at the end we'll do a little hocus pocus over you and maybe, maybe that'll work. That's not freedom, that's bondage. Right. Right. Freedom is the fact that we can come to church on a Monday night because we want to, amen. Not because we have to to get to heaven, because we want to. Because we're already saved and God has done wonderful things for us. And that's freedom. That's real freedom. Freedom in Christ is not, well, now that I'm saved, I can go out and booze it up, and I can live like an animal, and I can look like the world and act like the world. That's not freedom in Christ. No, that's that's just sin against God. That's ignoring the things God has already said. And yet, Satan twists the word of God. Oh, you've probably heard it. Man looketh on the outward appearance, but God looketh on the heart. It's true. That's First that's Samuel chapter 16, verse number 7. That's Bible. Man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. The problem is how you apply that. And today, when the, when that verse is quoted, nine times out of ten, what they say is God does not care how I dress or how I act or how I live or God doesn't care about the outside. Just, just you legalists care about the outside. God only cares that I'm sincere in my heart. Well, that is not what the verse is talking about. And the verse is, as a matter of fact, exactly the opposite of that. You know what that verse is talking about? Jesse has his sons lined up. Samuel is going to anoint a new king. All of the sons are there except one. And Samuel starts down the line, and the first one he comes to, he looks at him and says, this must be the guy. He looks like what God picked last time, Saul, head and shoulders above everybody, a strong guy, a warrior, a take charge kind of guy, and he looked at him and he said, this must be the one. And he's ready to anoint him. And God says to Samuel, stop it right there. This is not the one I have already rejected him. Because man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. What was happening there? It wasn't that something was really good, but it looked bad on the outside. It's that something looked really good on the outside, even looked like the will of God on the outside. But inside it was rotten to the core. That's what the verse is about. Not that you can be good on the inside and look rotten on the outside and that's good with God. No, it's that God looks in and sees the rotten, no matter how good you've cleaned up on the outside. And he sees the heart and he knows when something is wrong. But Satan likes to manipulate the word of God. And he'll take a real verse and just flip it upside down. And have you convinced that it means just the opposite of what it really says. He misapplies the word of God and he's been doing it for a long, long time. And then number four, he takes advantage of our weakness. That's what's referred to here in 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Look again at verse number 11. It says, lest Satan should get an advantage of us. Satan takes advantage of our weaknesses. He watches for it and he's ready to take advantage whenever it shows up. In 1 Peter chapter number 5 verse number 8, it says be sober, be vigilant because your adversary the devil as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour. In other words, he doesn't take a break and he doesn't take a vacation and he doesn't stop. He's constantly watching and looking for an area of weakness in your life. And don't pretend you don't have them. Everybody does. He's looking for that area of weakness, and when that area of weakness shows up, he's ready to pounce. It says he's a roaring lion, walking about, seeking whom he may devour. When I was growing up, back in the prehistoric times, we had a, some of you will remember this, there was a program on called Mutual of Omaha's Wild Kingdom. Do you remember that? And the Indian head would pop up. You probably can't do that anymore, because that's not politically correct, we got to pretend there aren't Indians or something. I don't know. The, the Indian head would pop up. It would say "Mutual of Omaha's Wild Kingdom," and Marlon Perkins would come on. He was 120 back then, and he would come on, and, you know, he was very dignified in his little outfit and and his gray hair, and he would narrate what went on, and they would take you to the Arctic, and they would take you to the jungles, and they would take you everywhere around the world to see these exotic animals and all this stuff, and I, I loved that. And then there was the sidekick, Jim. Marlon narrated from a distance, Jim had to fight the alligators and the water buffaloes and jump in there and and try to survive the show. That was Jim's job. Jim had a rough job. Marlon had a great job. And, and, And we'd watch, and I was just, you know, I loved animals and all that exotic stuff. And they would always come around to the antelope running across the savanna. You know, there they are, full speed, the whole herd of antelope. They're running across, and the lions are in hot pursuit. And they are the lions are running and they're chasing. And you know what's interesting? The lions don't care about the trophy buck in the front. That's the one we'd go for. We want the trophy buck in the front. Not the lion, though, they don't care about him. You know what they're waiting for? The young one or the weak one or the one that, that trips or steps in a hole and suddenly is back from the crowd and then they forget all the rest of those antelope And they all pounce on that one little one that showed a weakness. And they, now this might be a little too gruesome for you, but it is the circle of life. They start ripping him apart while he's still alive. I mean, he's squalling and they're eating pieces and pulling out chunks. And and pretty soon he quits squalling and they finish and, and there they are licking their lips. That's exactly what Satan does. He'll, he'll get you running and just look for a, a some weakness somewhere. He's most likely not going to attack you in your really strong areas. He's going to find a weak spot. And when he finds that weak spot, then he's going to pounce. And he's going to start ripping things apart and start destroying. That's what he does. So when we leave an area of weakness in our life open, we're leaving a place where he can take advantage of us. In second Timothy, Timothy chapter two, verse 26 it says this, "And that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil who are taken captive by him at his will." You mean there, there are people that at any given moment, Satan could take captive those people if he chose how can that be well because they've got an area of weakness that has not been dealt with and it oh it may not be today he may let you live that way for a while until you get complacent and then he'll pounce on that area of weakness and begin to destroy your life and take you captive at his will so how do you avoid that well You know, sometimes it happens when we respond wrongly to suffering. It does. Hard times come, difficulties come, and we can either put it in the hands of God or we can get angry that God let it happen to us. And if we get angry that God allowed this thing to come into our life, what we're doing is leaving an area of weakness there. That's a perfect spot for Satan to come in and deploy his other tactics and destroy our lives. He's watching for those places. He's watching for those things. You can think back. I know you can't to people who used to sit in church with you and they're not anymore. And quite often you can pinpoint an event in their life where they were hurt or disappointed and it didn't come out the way they thought. And what happened? An area of weakness. The next thing you know, Satan jumps on that area of weakness and they're gone now. They're just gone. You'd be hard pressed to find them. You better be careful when you respond wrongly to suffering. Sometimes it's when we allow bitterness to take root in our lives. We get angry at somebody, we get bitter at them, and we don't fix it and we don't take care of it. And the Bible says in Hebrews chapter twelve, verse number fifteen: "Looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God; lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled." That root of bitterness will will mess up your life and then it will infect others and all you're doing is leaving an open spot for Satan to come in and cause trouble. You know, church splits usually start with one person who gets bitter. It doesn't start with a whole group of people. It just starts with one person who gets bitter and won't get it solved. Won't fix it and then it spreads to others and others and next thing you know, you've got a big crisis on your hands. Because the devil is clever. Sometimes it happens when we refuse to forgive. Now we're in 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Notice in verse 10. To whom ye forgive anything, I forgive also. For if I forgave anything, to whom I forgave it, for your sakes forgave I it in the person of Christ, lest Satan should get an advantage of us. For we are not ignorant of his devices. One of the big areas where we give Satan an advantage is when we simply refuse to forgive. And when we don't do that, we are leaving an open space, a weak spot for him to come in and do the damage he desires to do. In this this particular case, this is 2 Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians, there was a man in the church who was involved in wickedness and immorality and, and even worse than that, the church was pretty proud of it. That they were so loving that they allowed it to happen. Kind of like today. And, and God said, knock it off. Boot him out. With the whole purpose of turning him over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. Why? So we can punish him? and No, so that he will see what's wrong and he'll get right and come back. And that's what happened. He came back. He says, now he's back. Second Corinthians, here's what you need to do now. He's back. He wants to do right. Now you need to forgive him. Now that's easy to say when we're talking about somebody halfway around the world, but you probably know people like that too. Well, now he's back and he wants to do right. And so now our job is to forgive him and encourage him. And then he says, by the way, I've forgiven him on your behalf. I forgave him and told him it was from you. <laughs> Thank you very much. And, and you might do that on my behalf. But we have to do that, because if we don't, Satan will get an advantage. It'll mess up everybody's life. And we don't want that to happen. Listen, Satan gives, gets enough victories. We don't need to give him any freebies. I mean, he gets enough that he works for. We don't need to just hand him any. And when we refuse to forgive, and, and I understand, some people are hard to forgive. Turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. Look, if you would, at verse number 32 and be ye kind one to another, tender hearted forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Now, in the context here, it's, it's obviously talking about the church at Ephesus. It's talking about a, a local congregation of believers. You know, somebody hurts somebody's feelings, somebody offends somebody. So oh, all that would never happen in our church. It happens in every church because churches are made up of people and people do that accidentally sometimes, sometimes on purpose, but they do it accidentally sometimes and they didn't mean to and, and we have to learn to forgive each other or we just can't go on. We can't make it. And so he says, be kind one to another, tender tenderhearted, forgiving one another. But look at the next phrase. Even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Okay, so he said, well, now this person has hurt my feelings and they've offended me and they've hurt me and it's, it's legitimate, it's real. I believe you, I believe you, it's real. But you still need to forgive them or else you're leaving a space in your life where Satan can destroy your life. It's more for you than it is for them, really. Because if you don't forgive, Satan's gonna mess up your life. But, but they don't deserve it. I believe you. I do. (laughs) Yeah. Look at your verse again. Even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. He says, I want you to forgive your brother just like God forgave you. Now, why did God forgive you? You didn't deserve it. He forgave you because Jesus paid for your sin. Stamped paid right there. And he said, now when he offends you and he hurts you and now you need to forgive him. Not because he deserves it. That's irrelevant. But because that's how God forgave you. Even when you didn't deserve it. But you don't understand if I forgive him, he will turn around and do it again. Well, unfortunately, you could very well be right. (laughs) He probably is that sorry and low down. Yeah. So he's hurt you, he's wounded you, and you know you ought to forgive, but if you forgive, it's like giving him a free pass and he'll turn around and do it again. So I just, I can't do it. Look at your verse again. Even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Now let me ask you a a deep theological question. Do you think when you got saved that God thought you would never sin again? (laughs) He knew better than that, didn't he? Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. And he forgave you anyway, right? Not because you deserved it and not because you promised that it would never happen again. As a matter of fact, you sinned shortly thereafter. And you've been doing it ever since. You have. I'm serious. And you know it's true. And yet he forgave you anyway, knowing you were going to do that. Because it wasn't based on whether or not you did it again. It was based on the fact that Jesus paid it all and he forgave you and so God says I want you to forgive him not because he deserves it and not because you don't think he'll ever do anything wrong again but because God forgave you I want you to forgive him so that Satan doesn't get an advantage in your life now listen don't misunderstand what I'm saying forgiveness does not mean that you make yourself a doormat for wicked people it's not what that means and if there's it, some people you can really never be close to. But you have to forgive. Or it'll ruin your life. You have to. And then you have to leave them in the hands of God. And Say, okay, God, you know. You know what happened. You know all the hurt. God, you deal with them. And he will. Well, it may take a while. But he will. He'll, he'll do it. But in the meantime we have to forgive otherwise we're leaving a big glaring area of weakness that allows Satan to come in and once he comes in he's just gonna start doing all the stuff that he does and we're gonna start falling for it and it's gonna ruin our lives and mess up our families and destroy our church and just ruin everything it touches he said you need to forgive this guy Because we know we're not ignorant of Satan's devices. We know what he's up to. And we know that he's looking for a weak spot so he can get in and destroy your church there in in Corinth. And he wants to do it. So you better forgive. Just like God forgave you when you didn't deserve it and when he knew you were going to do it again and he forgave you anyway because Jesus died for you. You see... When we leave open places for the devil to come in and wreak havoc in our lives, we're just being ignorant. It's not that we don't know what he does. But we just seem to fall for the same stuff over and over and over and over. And we almost feel good about ourselves when we do it. Well, I'm not going to forgive him. Well, are you proud of the fact that you're just showing your weakness to the world? Because Satan sees it, and he'll take advantage. You better be careful. Let's stand together and pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that we could be here tonight. Lord, thank you for your word, for the exhortations, for the rebukes, all of it in there, God. It's all, all for our benefit and for our help. Lord, tonight I, I pray that you would help us to search our hearts and just see that we have not fallen prey to the tactics of the enemy. And Lord, it's, it's not evil, wicked people who fall prey to these things. It's good people sitting in good places like this. And we just, we just hear a lie and we believe it. Or we hear an accusation and we just assume it must be true. Or we, we hear a, a misapplication of scripture and we begin to think that it makes sense. Or we have some area where a weakness pops up and, and we just, we know we need to deal with it, but we're not going to deal with it now. We'll deal with it sometime. And we leave that area open. God, please forgive us for being that foolish. Lord, tonight I pray that you'd help us and reveal in our lives any, any area of weakness that needs to be dealt with tonight. And I pray you'd give us the wisdom to deal with it. And Lord, it might be that there's somebody here lost tonight because they have fallen prey to the tactics of the enemy. They've believed lies about you and they've believed lies about salvation and, and they've believed lies that the church is just out to get their money and get their stuff and God, I pray that tonight they wouldn't be ignorant, that they wouldn't give in to the devil's lies. If there's somebody here lost without Christ, God, I pray they get saved tonight. And we'll thank you for all that you do in Jesus' name. Amen. With your heads bowed and eyes closed, the music is gonna play. And as it does, there are folks here, at the